0: saying how much they want a strong woman what they really want is a cheerleader
1: i'd like someone who's physically very frail and won't stop talking i just want what everybody wants i seem to have a harder time getting it
0: hello everyone and welcome to maximum film it's episode 326 and we're down for some christmas tricks it shows everybody way, and in the booth with me all my friends. So let me introduce you to them. First up, the Christmas zaddy himself, uh, the esteemed, wonderful, amazing critic. And if you don't agree, fight me about it. Alonzo derolde what's good?
1: I'll tell you, Ify, we're we're full bore Christmas now, so I think this is uh, an appropriate what's good friend of the show, Matt Rogers. He's joined us a couple of times over the years. Uh, About a year ago, I was promoting his uh, hilarious Showtime special, Have You Heard of Christmas? And uh, I'm thrilled to announce that I can now be promoting the album. Have You Heard of Christmas Uh, from Matt. It's got songs that you heard from that special. It's got a couple of additional ones that weren't in the show. And uh, this is absolutely entering my rotation. These songs are hilarious, but they're also like very holiday. And so it's not just kind of a one joke thing where you're like, aha, I know the punchline here. These are songs you are going to want to work into your rotation I have uh, Christmas Vinyl, so I was thrilled that his label, Capital, made a vinyl release available. Uh, but if you are a streaming digital ones and zeros person, you can get it that way as well. But yeah, Matt Rogers uh, taking another step towards uh, becoming uh, the king of Christmas media. Which is He's great, because
0: look, I looking at Aunt Mariah, I'm like, if I can crack the next best Christmas song, the next <laughs> best... Anthem. I'm good for a couple Christmas.
2: Iffy, I I just want you to know you saying that reminded me of when Tracy Jordan on 30 Rock was like, How do I egot? I gotta write a song. I gotta write the song with just... Bar Mitzvah.
0: And then no, no, well that the one was already right? out.
2: But he was like, Oh, I'm gonna write a song, and then they're gonna, it's gonna I'm gonna get a Grammy for it, and then they're gonna make a musical out of it, and then a movie out of the musical. Anyway. You started saying that I was like, I hope if he says he wants to create a perfect Christmas song. Because uh, all I ever want for you is for you to turn into Tracy Jordan, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, look, stay tuned. It might happen sooner than you think. If you want away ways
1: honky grandma be tripping. <laughs>
0: yes. Yes,
1: indeed.
0: <laughs> all right, that wonderful voice that you heard is none other than the queen of the Midwest herself, Drea Clark. What's good? Oh, my God. Other
2: than hearing Alonzo say honky? Like... Try and top that, <laughs> top that. Top. Okay, now I've, st- I've started. The, sc- the scatological is out of control. Um, okay, so I am a very creative person, as you all know, but I'm not necessarily artistic. I'm someone who literally likes to color in the lines, got real into adult coloring books when those were a big thing a few years ago, still doodle with them. And I just got, I was like, oh, this'll be perfect. It's gonna be, what do I get my parents for Christmas and also satisfied I got a paint by numbers canvas and it's literally a p- canvas with numbers in each of the things and it comes with paint and so it is very um you can zone out while doing it. I like to listen to an audio bit and just bloop 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 and I can feel all artistic and creative but when I tell you that one time my friends in the summer that I get like together with every year and we all were like, oh, let's have a painting day. And all of us sat on a lawn beautifully, like with canvas. It's the most miserable day of my life. I was like, <laughs> oh, God, I hate this. Like, I, I was like, can I just write a shopping list? Like, oh, my God, I was so miserable. I hated it. But you know what I don't hate is my paint by numbers. And you know who's also going to love it? Linda Clark. She's gonna be. She's gonna show everyone forever this painting that her daughter made, and I'm gonna remind them every time. Uh, it was a paint by numbers. It's gonna be a real Sundance kind of scenario. <laughs> We're repeating myself situation, but yeah, uh,
1: yeah. yeah I'm, it reminds me of my favorite mystery science theater joke, which is the the paint by numbers Mark Rothko, and it was just a ah! square with a one in it.
0: <laughs> Ooh, I could. I would nail that if it was good with you. Uh, Well, what's good with me is, you know, uh, I I got into this new, I feel like we're always the the, the the starting beat on new snacks. And oh yeah, sodas. That's and what people really come podcast. here for. Yeah. yeah yeah yeah. So I'm talking about the Y3K uh, Coca-Cola creations flavor. Yeah, Coca-Cola has that basically these these creations where they can do weird interesting flavors. Do oh, they like, taste yeah, like space or
1: whatever? Yeah, what? but
0: like I'm always like huh. <laughs> but <S laughs> it, this one is great. I do like the Y3K, and I do whenever I see their creations, I do pick it up. Up because it is always an interesting flavor. I just wish they would just say what Wait, it is.
2: is the flavor Y3K? Yes. Why is this aging me? I don't <laughs> understand.
1: Is it fruity? I, is it What's it taste spicy? like? What are we talking?
0: It, yeah, it's, it, it kind of <laughs> has it's some spicy. like fruity notes and it's, it's like a tropical fruit note on top of the Coca-Cola notes. So uh, I can't nail it down. There was a League of the Legends one they came out with that kind of had like a lychee kind of taste but this one I haven't been able to nail down. So I'm these are all starting with more cans.
1: Coke as a base and then like lighting a Yankee yeah. candle next to them. Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> yeah,
0: basically.
2: <laughs> See, here's why I would be wary. If you've ever traveled in Asia or been around somewhere that there's Coke Plus and you're like, great. And the plus is a laxative. So the <laughs> idea, I'm like, oh no, no, no. I need to know exactly what's oh, going yeah, on that, here. That's
0: yeah. the um, the Japanese one where everyone... Yeah. Uh, Fall falls for that trap when they're in Japan. They're like, oh, there's a Coke flavor I didn't know about." But oh, no. everyone, <laughs> I think,
2: I think you mean you.
0: Well, luckily, <laughs> I've, I've known someone gave me the heads up. there are okay. like, "Yo, just so you know, they got a Coke. It ain't, I'm ima- it I'm, ain't a new Coke." I'm
1: imagining like a, a, a Harajuku girl just like knocking it out of your hand. Like, no, yeah,
0: no. <laughs> like, you look like you take terrible shits. Get out. <laughs> Okay, so today we're talking about a character-driven dramedy that just happens to be a Christmas movie. It's The Holdovers. Then we'll answer a hotline question about therapy and film, but first, we're recording a little early so we can take a week off for the holiday, so no itty today. And by the time this episode hits your ears, Thanksgiving will have come and gone, but maybe there's still some food left in the fridge from the big meal. In honor of that, and the meals served in today's film, and probably the potential meals you'll have for Christmas, let's talk about some of the most memorable meals or dinner table scenes from movies. It could be the food itself, the setting, how the meal unfolded, what movie meals have stuck to your bones. Who wants to start?
1: Uh, I you know i i I know I've talked about Babette's feast before, so I'll take that one oh, off, off the yeah. table if you will um Ta-ta. one of the most uh horrifying ones I would have to say would be in uh, Peter Greenaway's The Cook the Thief, his wife and her yes. lover. <laughs> Yes. Uh, a colored mirror first, there's like a really beautifully laid out dinner, but then we see like the what happens when you leave food sitting out for too long version of that, and then of course, there's the uh climactic uh creation that I will not spoil here for those who haven't seen it, but definitely will kind of maybe put you off a honey glaze for a while.
2: Oh, oh, oh. now you just re upped that in me forever. <laughs> um, so I feel yeah there are some like key things that come to mind with this but a few new ones um I thought that the menu the Rafe Fiennes and Anya Taylor Joy film that came out last year the whole at the end of it she's like make me a cheeseburger and she's describing it and I'm not gonna lie every I've I saw that movie once and then that like came up again like that clip or something and I was like Oh, man, that thing successfully makes me want a cheeseburger real bad. Oh, oh
1: by the yeah. way, Irv's Burgers here in Los Angeles will make you that exact cheeseburger.
2: No. Yes. Uh, yes. Damn they st- oh, yeah. like, damn needed-
1: it. They started as a promotion for the menu, and it was so popular, they just left it on their menu. So just a well-made cheeseburger <laughs> for is a them. thing you can order. And they do the little onion slices and the patty, and it comes with the crinkle fries. It's a whole thing. It's what I. It's, my, it's become my new go-to there.
0: Okay, well, oh, there you man. go.
2: Making it come you know, to life. You know,
0: so funny. I was looking at Irv's last night, and I was like, man, I would love it, but I really want that burger that was part of the promotion, and I didn't know they kept doing it, so thank you. That's my oh, lunch. There you, uh, you go. Know. Opening that door. Yeah.
2: One of my favorite element, like a uh, recurring thing with food in a movie, um, with an honorable mention to Marie Antoinette, because I want every one of those sweets. I want them I got wrong. all the time. Give me them French sweets, but the movie Edward Scissorhands actually handles food in a really fantastic way because they use it throughout as a noting of where Edward is in his body with his scissor hands. So like, they have that first. There's this scene where he's just trying to get a pee with the <laughs> scissor hands, and it's like the saddest thing. And then like, yeah, he has to like, oh, uh, they. He has to get some like butter on bread. Like it's so sad. And then by the end. He has in that very Tim Burton, like, all of those, like, kind of hideous colors, and it's all that 1950s gelled-looking food, but he's, like, shish-kebobbed, like, he's over the grill, and all the women in the neighborhood are, like, bringing him, like, prawn cocktails and (laughs) weird, like, tarts, and do you know what I mean? Just that very 50s party
1: food. Yeah, Tupperware party, kind of, like, aspics and and pastel, pastel things.
2: And there's something about it that I'm like, I, I don't know that I really want to eat any of it, but it's so just like you colorful look at it. and they all have their ridiculous hair and the bright colors and him and his... He's got like just shish kebabs on his scissor hands. Anyway, the, the, I
1: love that. The scene where David Byrne has dinner with Spalding Gray and his family in True Stories also like uses asparagus and cherry tomatoes and things in a really fun visual way. And you get these sort of overhead shots of the table. And it's almost like a musical number unfolding in terms of just the way that the, the, this food is 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 moved around into, into shapes and structures.
0: Nice. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say, you know, uh um, the farewell. There were a lot of foods that they Mm. were putting cooking up together. And I remember when we talked about it, that was one of the things. So when I think about food in movies, it is one that jumps to the top of my head of just like because it was, you know, um, and I've I've seen a, a lot of these, you know, uh kind of like connecting the culture movies that kind of like lean into that because food is one way that we connect to our culture. And if you feel like a stranger to it, you oftentimes are kind of worried about, you know, how you interact with it. So, yes, uh, all that food looked
2: good. And we just talked about the Persian version, which Mm. is a great culture. Like, there's a few scenes in that and one very memorable one where it's just like this table of, like, (laughs) 80 dishes and they all all look so incredible, and they're also like just this really amazing Persian-specific food. Yeah,
1: yeah, the, the, yeah. Saul Bass directed the credits for Billy Crystal's Mr. Saturday Night, and basically shows sort of like the Jewish dinner table as sort of the roots of Jewish comedy, and the way that people are talking <laughs> back and forth to each other, and just the way he shoots the dishes and the table and everything, again, sort of groaning with all of these incredible treasures is, is really terrific. I will say one of my favorite Christmas dinners Technically, this is from a TV thing, but it was even though this part was cut out of the movie version that was released in the US. uh, Ingmar Bergman's *Fanny and Alexander*, which. You know, like a lot of his films started as a miniseries and then we got a shorter version in US theaters. In the miniseries version, which you can watch on Criterion Channel, there is this great Christmas dinner scene where this huge, sprawling family sits down to Christmas dinner. And because it's Christmas, they, the servants sit at the table with them and enjoy the meal. And the servants are so uncomfortable the whole time at being <laughs> included in this meal and not serving this meal that it's just, they feel very weird about it, even though the family's being all magnanimous and well welcoming uh but there's still a lot of warmth and just a lot of uh, uh, just an amazing array of sort of scandinavian holiday treats um that and and if we're also going to include uh uh, you know tv the christmas episode of season two of the bear is (laughs) a meal you do not want to be part of but it is fascinating to watch
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes indeed
2: i have one small this is not a dinner thing But in terms of well rendered food, shout out to the egg sandwich in Birds of Prey. Oh, you know, I was thinking of that one. Yeah.
1: That is star.
2: That sandwich, I want it.
0: Oh, yeah. They made that, that pushed egg sandwiches on the map for a lot of folks. Right? People didn't know, like,
2: what if you could just order a bacon, egg, cheese, and that makes sense? Like, that kind of shorthand slang.
0: And oh yeah,
1: that that is up there with the uh, Adam Sandler sandwich in Spanglish as just like great film. Like, like why aren't I eating this right now? You just know? a oh, Dagwood yeah. kind of. thing. Although
2: Birds of Prey, I feel like all of the women go to this like Mexican fast, not fast food, but like a very authentic looking like in Queens or something. Anyway, I wanted like every burrito they had. <laughs>
0: Yes,
1: and and I mean it- uh, the the ultimate like I do not watch this movie hungry. Of course, is the Japanese comedy Tampopo, um, oh, yeah. you know, which which is all about like the glory of ramen, but also just about food as a connective factor in all of our lives. But all of it is shot so wonderfully and so ahead of its time. And I I, I brought this up on Blue Sky recently. We the, there is such a food culture that's happened over the last twenty years or so that I think. I don't know why nobody has thought to remake a mostly forgotten 1980s comedy mystery called Who is Killing the Great Chefs of Europe, um, which starred George Siegel and Jacqueline Bissett and Robert Morley. And it was about, you know, these chefs being murdered. And and, and, and so it's like it's a it's a fun globetrotting whodunit, but with like amazing food porn. I just think like, what dibs? Drea, yeah, Dre, yes. buy those rights. Like it, it was based. I know it's based on a novel, but like I, that's just how no one has gone back to that well. Like Ryan Johnson, somebody needs to remake. Who is killing He's the He's fine.
2: Hero. He is covered. Let's get, <laughs> yes. Um, that sounds great. I'll follow up with you on that. I'd say in the classics too, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like if you're like, oh, I would like to get just super into long lingering shots of someone preparing a fish. Like, yeah, sign bento me up. A box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then um, Chocolat with Juliette Binoche. I, give me all of them chocolates. Again, I know the sweets aren't meals, but they can be don't don't sell the sweets short uh,
1: unless we forget Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory I mean, oh like, dear yeah <laughs> I, I still seat. want a gummy bear the size of my head as seen in that oh, film yeah.
0: and now they make them <laughs> Yeah. Oh, no. oh, yeah, I know, and they're so hard to eat. If you've ever tried to eat, oh, yeah, so, no, I
1: know it's it's much better in concept than in execution. Like you know, you you gotta <laughs> carve it up or something because otherwise you're just asking. Yeah. But it's like it's like those giant swirly lollipops. No, well the oh, no, yeah. no, but, yeah. you know those big swirly lollipops. And as a kid, you're like, oh yes, I want that. And about twenty licks in, you're like, I there is no way what yeah, am I going
2: to do I made with this a mistake oh yeah I've definitely got like a grapefruit sized jawbreaker at one point and then you're like well what do
1: oh wait this is literal what am yeah.
2: I yeah like am I just licking this thing for the rest of my life which is not a life I ever chose for myself yeah yeah <laughs> I've still got it I got that jaw no I'm just kidding
1: Would
0: you guys
2: <laughs> someone comes over what is that oh that's my 12th birthday jawbreaker I'm still working
1: <laughs> on it
0: don't touch it I've been licking yep. it for decades
1: yep. The everlasting gobson.
0: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we'll move on. And so on that note, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, we'll be talking about the holdovers.
2: All right. We are back with our best friends, A Queer History of Aerospace, which is a new audio miniseries from the Museum of Flight that is streaming now.
1: Uh, The Museum of Flight is located in beautiful Seattle, Washington, and it's the largest private, nonprofit air and space museum in the world. Uh, This new podcast, A Queer History of Aerospace, explores the ways the LGBTQ plus community has shaped aviation and space exploration, and the ways that that industry has impacted the LGBTQ plus community. The ultimate goal of the museum, and certainly of this podcast, is to encourage people who have been left off of museum walls to share their own histories, so that together we can start telling the whole
0: story. So. Listen at museumofflight.org forward slash podcast or search The Flight Deck on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are every Tuesday. Let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, Ify Wadiwe. In the studio with me are... Drea Clark. Alonso Duralde. And today we're talking about the latest movie from director Alexander Payne. It premiered at Telluride in August and has been gradually expanding since it came out in theaters last month. So Alonzo, would you mind giving us a brief synopsis of The Holdovers? Sure,
1: it's Christmas. 1970, and uh, as a boarding school prepares to close down for the holidays, there are a few people who are stuck there. Notably, one student named Angus Tully, played by newcomer Dominic Sessa, uh, a teacher who gets stuck with the uh, uh, role of being this kid's minder, played by Paul Giamatti, and uh, the one member of the kitchen staff, uh, played by the luminous Divine Joy Randolph, who... Um, They are all ambivalent about Christmas in one way or another. It is the first uh, holiday that Randolph's character is spending since her son uh, has died in Vietnam. Um, Giamatti's character um, drinks and is massively unpopular among both students and fellow faculty. Uh, And the kid is also a handful. But between the three of them, um, they may find some... Holiday impasse that brings them uh, to a new chapter in their lives, uh, but without any sort of, you know, twinkly sentimentality, heaven knows. Uh, The
0: Holdovers. Yay. Yay! We did it! We did it! So, yeah, one of the things that I think can be noted about this movie, even in the ads and in the opening credits, is that it's kind of right out of the time that it existed, that kind of style. Do you think that that kind of like set the tone for the movie or like what was your take on that?
1: I mean, they they push it a little hard. Like they make up a new Focus Features logo that looks like it would have existed in 1970 because there was no Focus Features at the time. Um, and you know that they, they even put in some sort of artificial, like kind of pops and scratches. Like yeah, because it's shot doing. digitally.
2: But they did yeah, a lot Yeah, so. doing it, doing it.
1: They do a grindhouse, you know, and they 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 thankfully abandon that uh, fairly quickly um, because I think it would have been a little cutesy. But i i think there is a there's a real 70s aesthetic going on here like those moments where someone is walking across like a snowy courtyard and one flute is on the soundtrack you know um i i think definitely you know th- there's something to be said for making a, a period film that looks like it was made in the period that you know of the setting you know i remember i years ago interviewed Richard Linklater, when Days of Confused came out, and he talked about how one of his sort of guiding stars was American Graffiti, in Mm -hmm. that when he saw it as a kid, he thought it had been made in the early 60s. Um, And so, you know, there is that thing of trying to, like, capture that feel of what a movie would be like. I will say we need to have a moratorium on filmmakers using Cat Stevens' The Wind. (laughs) Too easy to make audiences feel sad. Stop it. Find a new one. But beyond that, yeah, I think this movie gets that. The, the cinematography, the score, a lot of the the choices feel very sad. I'd say
2: uh, even in addition to all of those, because there's obviously like your production design and all of your technical crafting, but the even the tone of it and what we're getting out of this kind of story and this very manufactured, like, oh, it's an empty all boys boarding school and these are the people. The holdovers, I was gonna say leftover, but. It was, I had shades of, like, tonally, like, Harold and Maude, and then the paper chase. Like, there's classic Mm. story, atmospheric, tonal qualities that also read very of that period to me. The
1: sterile cuckoo.
2: Right? Like, so I I thought those things were really handled well, but not in a way that, like you said, are egregious, and they're just, like, patting themselves on the back, because this is so character-driven, and you're given these people who are ultimately, you're like, well, is this, there's things about it, if you're describing it could sound very tidy, right? Like, it's a a young man, a boy who's missing a father. And there's a woman, a mother who is now missing a son. And then there's this man who's like, missing out on a Sort of a different version of his life, right? Like, you find out there's something that kind of led to where he is now, that his path could have looked very different than it did. So there is that, like, oh, is this that jigsaw, like, uh, on-the-nose character thing where... The people around like each are fulfilling something, else, but it's not tidy. It feels very shaggy and believable like how humans are of, oh, I am not just this one component that I am either missing or possessing, but I am a lot of other things. And some of them are not going to be great in at this point in time. And you are not going to enjoy this. And there's few things that I enjoy more than Paul Giamatti Looking miserable and making the people around him miserable. Like what <laughs> it, a is gift. A sweet spot. it really it's the Giamatti it's the Giamatti perfection angle. Yeah, I love it so much. That grumpy bastard.
0: <laughs> I know it's it's so good because, you know, even in the way that he kind of is grumpy and unravels. It just kind of fits the character in such a, like, rich way. And it kind of, like, helps you as the viewer track his journey. Like, this is such a warm film that, that, like... Which is funny to say with such, like, serious story points. uh, But, like, I feel like this felt real. And I do like... You know, I think when people... to, To touch on the period things, I think... Um, When people lean on like period stuff, they like to do something I like to call Tarantino it, you know, find an excuse to be uh, offensive where it's like, I'm gonna use the N word as much as I want this. And I like that even when you had a character being racist, uh, someone was stepping in to be like, hey. You're, you're a shithead. Don't do, like, you are a, do, this is stupid. And it feels good because, you know, we talk about it a lot where it's like we knew there were shitty people there. But, like, you know, we kind of want to cheer for for our people and not be like, well, it's because it took place in the 70s. So that's why he can be a. Uh, kind of shitty. And also it's like
1: it, it's not that foaming at the mouth racism that anybody can point to yeah. go, oh, you're bad. It's that like polite preppy racism where it's yes. like the, sort of like that sort of those people kind of thing where you're like, ah, dude, fuck you, you know.
2: Yeah. Well, and this movie is so, it has a lot of little things it's doing about class. And so the very first shot you get is this boys choir, which by the way, it was taking me back. I was like, oh man, there is a, there is a tenor one in there who's just feeling Himself, because I'm getting every note of his, and which is hilarious to me. But you get there, and the the central character in this boys' choir, which is just sort of this incidental choir you're seeing, is a black singer. And I was like, oh, okay. So I wonder if that's going to be part of the story. And it, it is only in the sense that you find out that Divine Joy Randolph's son had been this scholarship student and. And what that meant, because she works there. She's the, like, cafeteria, like...
1: Lady. Whatever.
2: She's a cafeteria. I was like, I know we don't say lunch lady, but whatever. Like, she works in the cafeteria. And so there's some elements of, if you're in this place that is, uh, especially since this is an Alexander Payne film, and uh, my guy, he's from Nebraska, which is where all of my family is from, deep Midwestern. And this is such a, like, East Coast movie for him and there's a different kind of privilege and a different like class breakdown when you're in something like this like centering it here is a very John Irving thing to do and it's a different sort of space for him and I liked that I felt they were taking things on like that but not to the degree that the kid that we're with the most is also like a scholarship student no he's like wealthy his mom is on a holiday on some islands like Saint it's Kitts. so yeah so they weren't trying to do a total oh let's just make it about but it, I thought that it brought in like the idea of class or privilege in interesting ways yeah. especially I, in how it makes Giamatti's character loathe them like yeah. he's teaching <laughs> all these kids that he's like these are all the children of senators. These are future senators, and what
1: little shits. Oh, <laughs> like, this is the he, one time I'm gonna have power over these little pricks. So. Yes.
0: Well, well, yeah, that's that's a good element of it. I mean, to like really get into it is because you know you start off watching, you're like, why is this guy, you know, so disdainful when he's like part of them? Like, that is you too, and then you kind of find out the real truth behind why he's a part of that school and why he's there, and how. A kid like that is the reason he's in the position that he's in. So it adds a more personal kind of like effect against it where it's like, I know I can't stop you from becoming this, this monster, but what I can do is make it shitty. The whole way. (laughs) (laughs) Get my digs in while I can. Yeah, yeah, because like when he's talking, you know, all through the movie, he hears how much he's hated by students. And the only time you see him kind of affected by it is when uh, when she finds out the lunch lady's son thought he was it. Like, that's the first time you kind of see that that kind of stung a bit where he's like, oh, (laughs) and that's kind of like a perfect like round example of his character where he's like, yeah, I wasn't really targeting him because he's not one of these person. Yes.
2: No, I, I loved that. I also loved that each of these characters, you know, this is, it's a two hour movie, like Mm -hmm. a little over two hours, maybe. And so you have enough time to both enjoy them but also have actual arcs for them like there's depth or shade so you know obviously Giamatti's is the biggest to me uh, like character reveal in terms of oh I now have a different perspective of where he's coming from because of what I've learned out of him but you learn something about all of them and then you also get to see them in different lights because of that which is a lot of movies if you are you know when they talk about something that's a character study and this is very much driven by these emotional responses they're having at given things rather than it d- it does have those story elements right like there's a very unexpected helicopter that shows yeah. up in this and <laughs> i was like look at this magnum pi helicopter here but so you have like little mechanisms and then they have to go to this place and then they end up at this place like the story is moving along but it's such a I love when it's such a a character driven thing of how they're reacting in each of those moments. Matters to what's going to happen next and how I'm feeling about it.
1: Well, I I love the fact that Divine Joy Randolph's character isn't just there to be like a sounding board or a font of wisdom for the white guys, like emotional progress that she actually has her own shit to deal with and is dealing with it. And it it affects her, it affects them. It is as much a part of the plot as what those guys are going through. And so uh, I, I think that's a, that's a, that's a, uh, a pitfall this movie could have entered and didn't, and I was really happy
0: about that. Yeah. Yes.
1: It also reminded me, the, mm. the 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 way that Giamatti's character is, if you've seen either version of Goodbye Mr. Chips, which is sort of like the still kind mm. of gold standard of these boarding school movies, you know, the character starts that way. He starts out as being super strict, and the kids hate him and he's like lost in his own little academic world and blah blah blah. Um, and then you know, the love of a good woman changes him and blah blah blah. And here it's like, no Jamani's been this guy for a long time and he'll probably still be a version of this guy, but maybe he'll learn a little something over the course of this movie that might like push him off into another direction, you know?
2: There's a great yes. appearance by Carrie Preston whom I adore. Oh, she's
1: so good at and this.
2: She's so good and that, that you're like, oh, this is him at that kind of movie right yeah. like oh this someone's gonna get him to stop drinking and someone's good and you're like oh this is not what this movie's is doing no. can, can <laughs> we talk about i definitely want to talk about divine joy randolph more because she is so incredible and i can't imagine she won't well no she's gonna be up against like danielle brooks but like i feel yeah. like this is definitely oscar realm there's obviously a lot of talk about it but she's doing such beautiful work here that it took me a minute to be like, oh my God, only murders in the building. <laughs> like she's the disgruntled yeah. detective, oh, yeah. I right? Told him is like, my I kept thinking like, "I do I know her? Am I friends with her? How do How I, I know, know her? Oh, she's the disgruntled detective for Only Murders. But she's so good and it's some uh, much of it is on the page. Like I do think this is a really well written and well crafted film. But it's that kind of performance where it's like, oh, you are elevating every bit of this. Like every uh, heartbreak, every, you know, sort of grief, every annoyance. Like uh, there's so many things. But then also like the nurturing, like she does the smallest things with like reaching out to someone that you're like, oh, man, that is mean. Do we I need Mary in my life? Where's where's my Mary? Should I
1: be Mary? Uh, yeah, this is written yeah. by David Hemmingson, who this is his first feature screenplay to be produced. Anyway, this guy's been in TV forever. This uh, was supposed
2: to be a, a limited series. Yeah.
1: No kidding. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, you know, so I I, I I, would love to know if this is like a, a thing that has been in the drawer forever and he's just been like fine tuning it or if this was like...
2: I weirdly know this. Oh, please so tell Alex, no, and actually... It's it's based on a 1934 French film, huh. Mefleur um, or something. I can't remember. But um, Alexander Payne saw that and was like, "I would like to have this adapted." And then asked um, Hemmingson, Hemmingson, David, yeah, yeah Hemmingson to do it. And it initially meant to be uh, a limited series, and then it just in the shaping huh. of it was like, "Oh no, we can do this sort of well
1: uh, they, tightly." They, they must yeah. have really gone far from the source material because it's not credited as such in the film. Yeah. It's like it's it's treated yeah. as an original screenplay. But yeah, it's it's terrific. And 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 I think this is not somebody that if you look at oh he worked on American Dad, like it's not somebody that people are thinking, ah, you've got a drama in you. you
2: this is this this must be your next thing. <laughs> the um yeah. the Yeah, the the idea of it, I think the original was just like set at a boys' school like that. I think that was the the main and like the leftover at Christmas, maybe right. or something like that. But a really faint thing. I so I, I loved how that came together, um, and I do think Alexander Payne is good at recognizing talent in different mediums and drawing them in and just. True. Yeah, he
1: he worked with you know Nat Faxon and Jim Rash on The Descendants, and yeah, and exactly. They had he, before then just been like mainly TV guys and 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 groundlings. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I also in the discovery element of things, Dominic Sessa is so good in this. He's the the student yeah. Angus who's left behind. He apparently goes to a boarding school. I think he goes
1: to the school where they shot this. Yeah, they, they shot of... it
2: at like five or six schools. Oh, I think. Okay. Um, oh nice! I only know this because I've been doing like deep dive uh, Spirit Awards research. Ah. I'm, <laughs> I'm normally not the gal with the facts, but I thought this kid was so good and such a. Um, it's a, I t- like that kid, you could either get someone who feels like a suck up or someone who feels like uh, angsty, blah, blah, like that it would be hard to generate sympathy because I don't know. I find uh, find me someone I want to spend less time with than a teenage boy. <laughs> and this kid, I thought, was just really he was he was keeping up. He was doing some really interesting things.
0: He's realistically s- prickly,
2: realistically yeah. prickly. And yeah, that's oh, yeah. prickly. It, it had a texture to it. This is his his, first thing. Yeah.
0: And especially in the way that he, when he was like lashing out at his students, when he kind of was mad, it felt so real and like, oh, yeah, the smartest student does know how to like cut deep in a way that even the people who thought he deserved it was like hey <laughs> <laughs> hey man <laughs> but he's like no i'm i'm mad so now i'm going to tell you exactly how yeah. i feel and I, uh, it's,
1: it's scorched earth time
0: <laughs> yeah exactly
2: what did you guys think of this compared to? I mean, I keep bringing up his filmography because, like, I love Alexander Payne. Like, I loved Nebraska, but obviously, Election or Citizen Sideways. Ruth or Side. Yeah. Obviously, with Giamatti, like, how did did this feel like an Alexander Payne movie to you guys?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think in terms of uh, the way that his movies are character driven, the way that they are funny in ways that are. That feel mm. organic and out of real life and not just like big comic set pieces, you know. Um, I will say it. I, I did have to see this one twice because when I heard about it, I think I kind of crafted an idea in my mind of what it was going to be. And mm. when it wasn't exactly that, I was a little cold to it the first time I saw it. But then I saw it again after hearing more people praising it. And 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 yeah, I, I think it it's terrific. I think it's just – it's not – Uh, If you go in hearing that it's a Christmas movie, uh, you might start putting certain parameters on it that it is not in any way interested in meeting. And, and, And so once I knew that more clearly, yes, it is absolutely an Alexander Payne movie in that it is about people sometimes being at their worst, but also maybe... Being, finding the parts of themselves that are a little better than that. And it's, and, and yeah, whatever growth or whatever change happens in these characters, it's not massive and it's not sweeping. And it does feel like it is part of an outgrowth of sort of real world behavior.
0: Yeah. Um, so I guess it's time we uh, go ahead and vote. The way we vote for movies on this pod is screen it being the highest stream, it being the next level and skip it being self-explanatory who wants to start.
2: It's a screen it. I, for me, I, I really enjoyed this. Um, I do think that's, I really like Alonzo couching the idea of, Oh yeah, especially people are inhaling a lot more Christmas movies than they maybe have in previous years, like the last few years. So it is not going to be giving you those exact flavors but maybe these flavors feel more believable to you and i think that there's another thing fitting here there's um, a melancholy and a nostalgia and i think this is a real christmas tone in a lot of ways more real life tone than what we normally see in cinema necessarily but um yeah i i'm excited i'm i'm bringing my parents to this uh, mostly because again, Nebraska, like they've got a, they're gonna support old Alex Payne, but um, <laughs> also because you know, if you get a chance to bring your dad to a movie with Cat Stevens playing, you're gonna. <laughs> yeah. What am I not gonna do that?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm also a screen and it definitely is. It is a Christmas movie in the sense of, you know. Uh, one of my favorite kinds, which is like about sort of broken people, um, you know, trying to sort of, you know, maybe the the holiday is going to give them some 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 way out of their brokenness. Um, yeah, I want to mention uh, Egil Brill. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm getting his name wrong. The cinematographer. Um, this is a. There's Christmas winter and then there's just winter winter and he shoots winter winter. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, very effectively and very 70s-ishly, I will say. So, yeah, this is, you know, if you can see it on the big screen, highly recommend three terrific performances, a wonderful script. Just, you know, it it it's it's uh it, it's it's pressing
0: all the buttons.
2: Your fingers yes. will be cold and your toes will feel wet
0: somehow. Yes. That
2: will be oh, the yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, this is uh, you know I, a, a screen it for me as well. It's just like such a like rich movie that is is talking to um, something that or that is speaking to something that you know usually I think uh, doesn't usually land well when white men tell this type of story <laughs> because it's very easy to land in the woe is me I'm privileged but I have no control of it type of story and more so you do, you can acknowledge it. And know that the world is bigger than you, and that is all it is asking of you. And to even like, even beyond color lines, like when they go into the bar and meet the Vietnam vet, and mm. he's like, "Yeah, you're you're being a shithead," uh, and and he's like, "Why'd you buy that guy a beer?" And he's like, "Oh, maybe because you you started to fight with someone who's going through shit that's way worse than you, who goes to uh, prep school. Maybe that person was mad at you for a good reason. You 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 don't even consider that because you only see the world through the lens that you are going through." and then we find out why this kid is so angsty and when we meet his mom geez louise i've never (laughs) oh it's one of those perfect movie things where you just you you know that in the way that the story is told in the realism that nothing really is going to happen to this person but you're like "Mm, i want them to have a comeuppance (laughs) um but that's just how the cookie crumbles in real life um Uh, Yeah, I definitely want to give another shout out to uh, Divine Joy Randolph, who, uh, you know, we spoke about range on the uh, Rustin pod. I want to talk about, you know, her range who she was also in Rustin and she was, in yes, you know, as Mahalia Jackson. That, yes. <laughs> so between this Rustin and, and only murders in a building. Uh, I was just so unsurprised when I looked that she got her master's at Yale. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you know, I was like, Oh yeah, these are, they, you know, not to dis on, you know, what would be my sample, which are just like, you know, comedic TV, Actors, you know, people who came who come into acting from that. But when you see an actor or actor, you can just always tell because the way they effortlessly take on accents and mannerisms and and I was seeing an article where um, Alexander Payne had to teach her how to smoke because she never smoked before, and that felt like a real lunch lady smoke, which we've all seen if you've been to school (laughs) where it's like tied to these kids, and also. I think just the age range she can play is also, yeah, so yeah. she's only two years older than me, but she can present herself in such a way where you're like, you've, you've seen, you've seen many summers, <laughs> you know, you <laughs> know, so that is just my personal shout out, uh, along with my rating, but we'll be right back after we hear from another show for maximum fun.
1: Folks, we get it. Keeping up with an actual play podcast in this economy is a tough sell. Mm.
2: That's why we have great news for you. The Adventure Zone is changing up its format. We're going to be doing some shorter seasons, more experimental
0: stuff. There's never been a better time to get on board the zone. And if you're sick of listening to our voices, we get that too. So we're including some guests Uh, on this upcoming one. We've got Kate Welch and Gabe Hicks, who are incredible. And you want us to try out some new games? You got it. We've got the new Marvel Multiverse RPG. We're using that and with a really brilliant GM doing it. It's dad. What he's saying is it's dad. Dad is doing it. It's dad doing it.
2: You can listen every Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm glad you said that because nobody says that. Can I just say thank you to you for such a thoughtful interview?
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Bullseye. Interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. Listen to the Bullseye Podcast only from NPR and Maximum Fun.
0: Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, Ivey Whiteyway. In the studio with me are... Alonzo Duralde. Drea Clark. And today we got a hotline call from Wes who writes, Hello, Ify, I want you to take a swing at a male Chicago accent. Here's your shot to audition... For the bear now that the strike is over. <laughs> oh, um, <God>. Chicago. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, see? I Hoping know. you all had some suggestions for this specific theme. I have a buddy who definitely would benefit from therapy, but has some old school tough guy views on it. I've seen him learn and open his mouth to things through watching movies and was wondering if you had any suggestions about movies that have a male protagonist go to professional therapy and grow from it, even if it's not The main plot, see? I'm coming up short because I can only think of movies where therapy is shown in the form of scary hospitalization. Not the message I want to send to him. Or shows that do it quite well, like This Is Us and Ted Lasso. But he's more of a movie guy. Thanks for all the entertainment that you've provided over the years. What do you think? Thank you,
1: oh my Wes. God. Is that I Chicago, don't think you've Mississippi? I have been to Chicago. Yeah, <laughs> that was
2: a great... I like that you're like, I'm not going to try and do anything like Ditka Dabers. Like, you're you're like, oh, maybe I'm going to do a little James Cagney gangster and then just... Yeah, Al yeah, Capone, see? Yeah, took yeah, it. Yeah, see? That was absolutely bonkers. Wow. <laughs> okay, I like this question. Thank you, Wes. Um, be, the first thing that comes to mind to probably... I, I'm assuming all us is Goodwill Hunting, Joker, right?
1: Oh, oh, I was gonna Joker. say analy- analyze this.
2: <laughs> well, there we go. So we have a few. Um, Goodwill Hunting is sort of famously, you True. know, the I, I laugh forever that his name is actually Will Hunting. Mm-hmm. Like once you know that, yeah. like it's the funniest title. But the Matt Damon character, you know, he's been acting up, he's whatever, and so this. This professor sees something in him and assi- he's basically he's assigned to the Robin Williams character. And they have all these, like, breakthrough moments. And as much as some of them have become sort of tropes or some of them can be, you know, the, like, the it's not your fault scene, mm. I still find there's definitely... Um, A strain of American, often male, that could still use that kind of, yeah, there's no subtle way. You don't need the subtle way to hear. You need the big way to hear this. And so I feel like Goodwill Hunting is, to me, a a positive example of therapy and the connection between. I mean, certainly they are a little too familiar with each other for a client and a doctor, but that one comes to mind right away. Yeah. Wait, well, you guys had them too. Uh,
1: yeah, I was thinking about analyze this just because he said he didn't want to do TV because my first thought there was The Sopranos. And then I remember I the, was that's going to be yeah you got to do it. it looks so, too cool. Yeah, when The Sopranos premiered, analyze this was also hitting theaters. That it was there was some concern that like that was going to somehow. Obviously, wh- what are people talking about 20 years later, you know, <laughs> not analyzing yeah. this. But nonetheless, uh, it is a comedy with uh, Billy Crystal and Robert De Niro. And De Niro plays a gangster who goes into therapy and does get oh, yes. does get good things out of it, you know. And uh, there is this weird stigma about like dudes and mental health. I remember Desis and Mero talking about this when they had their show on Showtime. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. like we need to be like men in the culture need to be more open about the fact that they're going to therapy and that it's not, it doesn't mean they're weak. It doesn't mean they're broken. It just means they, they need the help and they need someone to talk to. And, and um, yeah, no, I, I, I admire that, um, that you are trying to get your friend uh, moving in that direction and it, it can be really valuable and that, yeah, there, there shouldn't be any stigma attached to it, but sadly there is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that was going to be my just kind of final cause I think y'all, got I the have, best ones Ooh, i have two more one? oh please Ooh, go for it
2: um not to say you know someone is supremely interested in uh men getting help um but uh, a flashback one i'm going to say mostly to impress Alonzo. ordinary people yes uh, for it sure. has the 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 benefit of also being a set in a sh- chicago mm-hmm. suburb it's in lake forest But there is an entire, you know, sort of running element of Timothy Hutton's character meeting with Judd Hirsch. Yes. um, Who's like trying to teach him. And that one is very specifically about his emotions and and sort of taking control of his emotions and of learning to communicate. Processing grief. Right. And obviously, yes, very much the center of that movie is a grief thing. And then I'd also say Honey Boy, uh, which is the Shia LaBeouf film based on his real life from a few years ago that Alma Harrell uh, directed, where... That one's unique in that he's going through exposure therapy and it's a lot of stuff reminding him because he has a lot of repressed things about his relationship with his father specifically, but his childhood and what it was like and sort of having it. But ultimately, like, it is a very helpful and beneficial um, experience for him. And again, it's not that sort of institutionalized therapy. But yeah. If you feel... I feel like you said... Something other than analyze this. What
0: oh, oh, oh I jokingly <laughs> said joker.
1: I thought about <laughs> short bus. I wasn't sure that really yeah. <laughs> qualified as a positive uh portrayal of any. You know? I mean it's positive,
0: <laughs> but oh you know, your friend might turn into a freak like me. <laughs> little freak. Not, it could be it could yeah, be a yeah. freak parentheses worse. complimentary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yes so thank you so much for that hotline question that was a real fun one yay all right it's time for the christmas movie minute where our christmas zaddy goes through all the christmas movies he's watched this week in one minute so listen closely because it's a good one we're getting closer so it's getting fatter the 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 christmas movies (laughs) (laughs) alarms are you ready
1: Uh, I'm getting fatter, too. Yes, let's do it.
0: (laughs) Let's take it away.
1: Okay, so Holiday Hotline on uh, Hallmark. It's basically a Shop Around the Corner meets Butterball. Cute idea. Eh, It was all right. Didn't didn't totally pull it off. Um, Xmas, E-X-M-A-S. Fun comedy works better when the X's are being nasty to each other than when they eventually fall in love. But... Uh, you know, uh, they're trying something different. It mostly works. A Season for Family, lovely little movie about uh, adoptive parents getting together. Um, very cute, very sweet. Holiday Road, uh, ambitious, does not pull it off, really. Too many characters, and uh, it goes in some weird places. Letters to Santa, uh, genuinely terrible <laughs> um, A movie uh, with a, a magic uh, wish-granting pen. But A Biltmore Christmas is terrific. Uh, Bethany Joy Lenz and Christopher Palaha make a dynamite couple, really gets all of the old movie detail right, uh, shot at the Biltmore, which is gorgeous. And, um, you know, th- the ending, uh, unfortunately, has to fall into the hallmark parameters, but really lovely, worth
0: a look. Okay, look at that. A, you see, you're able to get through it very easily, Effort.
1: <laughs> I'm breathing into a paper bag
0: <laughs> now. You did so good. Yeah, yeah, we're so proud of you. Was oh that almost I, I I jumped dismounted too quick. Was so proud of you. You're so okay. good. <laughs> so proud of you. Uh, but yes, you know as always, I'm going to tell you. Make sure we're getting closer to Christmas. Closer to them stockings needed to be stuffed. So make sure you grab. Have yourself a movie, little Christmas, and or I'll yep. be home for Christmas movies. Deck the Hallmark Podcast Guide to your holiday TV obsession. All right, cool. Thank you, sir. All right. Day. Of course, thank you for making such great Christmas media, you know? Truly. All right. Well, now it's time for staff picks. It can be any movie at all who wants to start.
1: Uh, I'll go. i I've got one. Oh, oh you oh, go. No, please, go ahead. No, 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 you.
2: Sorry. I Either way is fine. We'll both get there. Um, <laughs> There's a movie coming out this weekend that I'm tremendously excited about, big fan of. Uh, it's called Eileen. It's uh, William Oldroyd's new film. His previous film, uh, Lady Macbeth, was one of my staff picks like six years ago, whenever it came out uh, and it kind of launched Florence Pugh. Um, Eileen is based on um, a novel by Otessa Moshfei. I don't think I'm saying her name right, but you should read it. But um, it's so fantastic and it's dark and atmospheric. And he's just very good with like... Giving women uh very believable, gritty dark things to be doing. This one stars Thomasin McKenzie, set in the sixties, and Anne Hathaway rocks in as like a blonde femme fatale. It is so dark and strange and a little weirdly sexy and yeah, it is something else. It's it's this. Thomason plays a, a young like a secretary and um at who works at a prison and Anne Hathaway is the new counselor and then it, it takes a twist. Eileen, I would check it out. I bet you'll hear a lot more about it. Ooh.
1: Uh, my choice also uh, includes a prison. Um, it's uh, the Argentine entry to the Oscars this year. It's a movie called The Delinquents. And it is a heist comedy in which the heist happens in the first 10 minutes and is really no big deal. It's all about what happens after um, when the bank robber tells a fellow employee, hey, listen, I'm going to go to prison for three years, but I've stolen enough money that both of us can retire after I get out so you're going to hold on to this money for me oh and if you say no I'll say you help me do it and then it just goes from there (laughs) into these very odd and and, um, circular uh, uh, paths including weird parallels of names and destinies and uh, life uh, sort of random occurrences. It's about three hours long, but it is riveting because you just don't know where it's going. Um, It often reminded me of one of my very favorite films of all time, a French film called uh, *Celine and Julie Go Boating, um, where you spend the first half wondering what the hell is even happening and the second half completely riveted because you have to know how it's going to end. It is funny and uh, offbeat and, and just very uh, unlike nothing else I've seen this year. Uh, so keep an eye out if it, if it hasn't opened near you yet, hopefully it will, hopefully it will get the final shortlist for the Academy Award and that'll definitely get it into a wider audience. But yes, the Argentinian film, the delinquents.
2: Ooh. I'll I'll second that. That is a great, great, great choice. And it is real. It's its own thing. And Hell you yeah. do yeah. not know what's coming next. It's like existential yeah. dread humor. Yeah, it's a whole
0: thing. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yes. Well, uh, for me, at the time of release, we're two weeks away from a uh, f- close friend of mine uh, getting ready to drop a a, a, a a little indie film, and I'm just trying to put the word up out just so you uh, won't happen to miss it. My buddy nope. Tim, my buddy Tim is uh, really working on. Uh, mm. He's worked real hard on this film. It's called a Wonka. Uh, so make sure you uh, pre-order your tickets because you know who who this might fly under your radar. This is a little indie darling. I'm I also sure don't spirit- believe this
2: movie exists.
0: Uh, I, I Put think this in about, my
2: Dune Two category. I don't believe this is ever actually coming you know, it's out.
0: Probably, is probably doing the research at the Spirit Awards right now for this uh, indie number. Uh, <laughs> I so, <told> you,
2: baby. <laughs> <laughs> a little low budget, darling.
0: Wonka. Yeah, 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 yeah. we'll see if it can the, the underdog of the season um, needs we'll the, the grassroots bush. <laughs> somehow. Yeah, (laughs)
1: at at, at the time we're recording this I still haven't seen it and and a critic on Blue Sky I thought described it really well where he was talking about his ambivalence going in he goes I'm trying not to think about this as a prequel no one needs and I am trying to think about this as the new film from the director of Paddington 2 nice
0: (laughs) yes all right. Her life, her. Well, Duran Alonzo, thank you for another wonderful show. And the listener, Cheers. thank you for listening. If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, send us an email at maximumfilm at org or find us on any of our social media channels. All those links are in the show notes. Next week, we'll be talking about salt burns. Our producer is Marissa Flaxbart, who is wonderful. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. She is also wonderful. And this is a production of Maximum Fun, a wonderful company. Bye-bye.